It is the Lockdown Bengals Podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Today we've got the lead story, which is an expanded Hall of Fame class in the 100th league year in 2020. Reports say Billy Price has returned to practice. We'll let you know how that went. Then we've got other updates from training camp, and we've got to catch up on the countdown to kickoff. Now your Lockdown Bengals lead story. I'm Jake Lisko, along with Joe Goodberry. Today, the NFL Hall of Fame announced that they will be inducting 20 members in the 2020 Hall of Fame class. That's going to include five modern era players and, interesting to Bengals fans, 10 seniors, which is a player who's been retired for 25 or more seasons. That means that this is the best chance that Ken Anderson and Ken Riley have ever had. Yes, for the first time in a long time, you really feel like the Bengals have a chance to get their second player into the Hall of Fame, if not both. Honestly, they both have a good shot. Ken, Ken Anderson, known for the 1980s, late 70s Bengals offense that really was the forefront for the modern-day passing offense and really started the West Coast offense. And Ken Riley, who played corner for the Bengals after playing quarterback in college, played for, for Cincinnati from 1969 to 1983. He is top five with 65 interceptions all-time in the NFL you look around the league and, and league history, top five quarterback for passing yards, touchdowns, running backs for rushing yards, receivers for, for receiving yards, sacks, interceptions, everyone that is in the top five is in the Hall of Fame. It's a good chance Ken Riley gets in there also. So this is an exciting time for Bengals fans who have been waiting for another shot to get some of their favorite players on their favorite team into the Hall of Fame. A lot of people say Ken Riley your top five in NFL history and interceptions, the only reason he's not in is arguably that he was a Bengal. Same could go for Ken Anderson, whose era-adjusted numbers still stand up as one of the all-time greats. Both of them have very good arguments and a very good chance at getting into the Hall of Fame. There will be players from other teams, of course, as well, but I think those two, and in particular Ken Anderson, it would be surprising to many people, including writers that have already talked about who they might vote for, if, if Ken Anderson doesn't get it. And after missing the first week of training camp, Bengals first round pick last year, center Billy Price came back today and was activated for the first time after dealing with plantar fasciitis in his foot. It didn't take long before he had a bad snap and found himself limping off the field during practice. Mark Slaughter of the local NBC station says that he, after practice, Billy Price looked fine and was walking without a limp. It was Mark Slaughter who reported that he had the limp. He walked off, started stretching it out, came back, and was okay. And in Zach Taylor's press conference before practice today, when he mentioned that Billy Price would be back, he was coming back from plantar fasciitis, which is uh, an ailment in the foot that causes foot pain. He said that they were going to ease him back out there. They won't give him a full dose right away. And this has been a theme. They're sheltering Tyler Eifert. Uh, a little bit in practice and keeping him from a full session and full contact 
Sounds like they're going to do a little bit of the same with Billy Price, which might mean we see some more of Trey Hopkins working with the first team while Billy Price gets into football shape. Yes, and when he does get in the, in the football shape, Zach Taylor said that Trey Hopkins will get reps at the competition at left guard. As well, Michael Jordan. That competition, of course, is wide open. John Jerry was back working with the first team today. If you are of the Westerman hive, however, there's no need to panic. This has been the plan all along. And this is something that Zach Taylor is doing a little bit differently from Marvin Lewis when he told us the plan was an open competition at left guard with a rotation in early training camp. And that's exactly what we've seen. With instability on the interior of the offensive line, the Bengals could really use Billy Price to take a year two step after missing six games in 2018. A full season of health in 2019 would go a long way. So last year for Billy Price, it was missing rookie camp, OTAs, a lot of the offseason program. This time around, he misses just one week of training camp. But he was a full participant in the offseason program, meaning the OTAs and minicamp up until this point. So all signs point to Billy Price being healthy in 2019. We hope that it's not the kind of chronic plantar fasciitis that you hear about for some athletes that recurs. There's no reason to think that will be the case. And you hope that Billy Price gets that second-year step that Joe talked about and brings some cohesion to a unit that has a lot of players playing together for the first time. And they've already dealt with injuries with Jonah Williams being out at left tackle. The shakeup has already started. That stability inside will go a long way. It's something that Zach Taylor talked about as well in his press conference. You can check that out at Bengals.com. And we'll get into updates for the rest of training camp on the rest of this podcast. It's exciting, though, I think, that the Billy Price is back. We can start maybe getting a look at what some of those first iterations of the actual starting line will be at this point. It, yeah. Left guard is still a question. John Jerry, Trey Hopkins. But Billy Price is your center. All those other four positions are set. Well, because the, you got to think, not only is he hopefully solidifying, but maybe upgrading center, right? Because how we played last year was basically in line with what they got from Russell Bodie in the previous four years. So Billy Price taking a step in his development gets them better at center for the first time in a long time. And it provides more opportunity and more bodies to fight for left guard. So hopefully the best comes out of that and the best player comes from that and gives you the best option, which ultimately gives you, uh, of course, the best chance to have a good player there at left guard. And I think there are enough guys competing for that spot that they could get roughly what they got out of Clint Bowling last year, especially with John Jerry's comments today that it's an offensive line friendly scheme. And he yeah. didn't go into detail, but we've talked about it, all the play action, all the misdirection, yeah. uh, a little bit of an emph- emphasis on the running game. All of these things will make the offensive line's job easier, especially in pass blocking. Defenders won't be able to just pin their ears back and go. So there's a good chance that you get similar production out of left guard this year, regardless of Clint Bowling's retirement. There's a chance you get an upgraded center with Billy Price. We've talked about John Miller and expecting an upgraded right guard. The The position that we kind of haven't talked about for quite a while is right tackle. And I'm wondering if that's by design with the left guard competition being the focus of the media and training camp, taking attention off of right tackle and left tackle. We're all hoping that Bobby Hart takes an unexpected step forward in his, what, fifth year as yeah. a pro? And Cordy Glenn on the left side, we're just hoping stays healthy. Right. And if he's healthy, then they'll be okay at that spot on the left side. Uh, yeah, right tackle is, uh, you know, I don't think we're going to really have a good gauge on it until the preseason games start because that's when we can really be sure that 
yes, they're hiding this offensive line. Yes, they're trying to help the right tackle out. They're aware of the situation. They're not going to let Andy Dalton take a five-step drop all the time and get killed or or be in obvious passing situations for most of the game because the running game is not working on first down. So there are ways, as we've said, chronicled this whole entire offseason. In a Ram-style offense, this O-line should have the most help it's had in a long time. But um, if we get Bobby Hart isolated for maybe 10 plays this preseason – Let's see what he looks like, and let's see you know, if he holds up at a better rate than he did last year or in his entire career. That is certainly the hope. If you look at a training camp video of Bobby Hart trying to block, I think it was Sam Hubbard coming around the left end. It looks just like Bobby Hart of old. He's bending from the waist. Yep. He's lunging. We'll have to see if there are any improvements that come out in the games. We're certainly hoping that that is the case. But overall... I think the, the, what we're outlining here is that the return of Billy Price leads to promise for the other four positions, at least on the offensive line, looking at potential improvements and the path to those improvements in 2019. We're going to take our first break and come back with the rest of our notes from training camp, then get back to our countdown to kickoff after that. And we're back. Locked on Bengals podcast with Jake and Joe here. Bengals were in pads today before family day takes place tomorrow on Saturday, or that's today if you're listening now. But uh, we've got some training camp updates from their Friday practice. Jake, I think the first one that jumps out to me is the hopefulness of getting back some first-round picks. Obviously, Billy Price came back and then had to walk off after a high snap. We talked about that in segment one. But John Ross said after practice that he could practice if it was up to him, but it, it – it isn't solely up to him, and I think the staff is taking it um, a little bit easy to make sure that hamstring is good to go, and maybe it sounds like he may start practicing next week. Yeah, and I think that that's exciting to get him back. Maybe he'll even be out there for family day tomorrow for a little bit. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, I'm sure the fans would love to see John Ross run a quick little post route or a go route, catch a touchdown before he retires for the day. Uh We'll have to see. No, but that, I think that's great. He said in an interview with Mark Slaughter, again from WLWT, I think, in Cincinnati, the NBC station there, that he's more ready than he's ever been. He's anxious to get back. But this has been a trend. We mentioned this in segment one as well. They're being conservative with guys that are injured. They're not bringing them back full speed. And that kind of is, an, is, a, is a testament to A.J. Green being a bit unlucky in his injury because they really are kind of coddling these guys coming off injuries. Tyler Eifert's been pulled out in the last few minutes or, or is only being used selectively in practice to limit the wear and tear on his body in training camp. John Ross has been slow to return of his hamstring injury. Same for Billy Price, going to be yeah. eased back in. I start to wonder a little bit with a lighter practice schedule, everyone's saying that they're quicker practices, they're, they're less strenuous on the players. I wonder how this is going to translate to early season conditioning. I know the conditioning test was harder. This is a very, very faint concern of mine at this point, but it's something that I started thinking about today, something that I'm going to keep my eye on. I'm not necessarily pessimistic about it. I want to be clear about that. I think this coaching staff has a pretty good idea of what they're doing, yeah. but it's something that I'm going to watch. Well, even Zach Taylor mentioned it when asked uh, if they're going lighter on the players. This was maybe like three days ago. I, I watching his uh, post-practice conference, press conference, and he said, well, we have more data. We have more information. It's not like it was in the old days. Uh, speaking about the analytics and, you know, players having GPS systems in them and, and things like that, and knowing which, you know, players are running way too much or, or, or not enough and so on. 
they have that information. It sounds like he's adjusting to it and going a little easier on these guys. Now, that may not be a bad thing. It could be, I guess, if they start off slow this year. But also, how many times were the Bengals limping into the playoffs? Or week 15, 16, 17, and they just looked like they were spent or they were depleted at certain positions or they walked into a playoff game where they, Rex Burkhead was their number one receiver, right? So uh, maybe this helps them later in the season. That was the argument on the other side of the coin, and I totally get that. I hope that's the case. I just wonder if it is kind of a two ends of the candle thing, right? Like you either get it at one end or the other. That's not the perfect analogy, but I wonder if there is an adverse effect early season to preserve late season legs because you do start to see, and Zach Taylor has talked about this, when guys are tired, that's where you start to see more soft tissue injuries. That's why they took that walkthrough day, that red zone day, before they went out in full pads. Yeah, and just like any decision in life, right, there's a consequence for even good decisions. So uh, we'll see how this plays out, but it is something worth monitoring, so I'm glad you brought it up. I think it's a minor thing, to be clear. I don't want this to be painted as, oh, they can't do anything right ever. I I think that the coaching staff probably is doing it right. I just, it's something that I'm going to pay attention to. Well, maybe the previous coaching staff wasn't doing it right. Exactly. You know? And maybe now we're just not used to it, <laughs> like a lot of the players. We're not used to a lot of things. Yeah, even the media asking Zach Taylor, are you going easy on them, or this is a lighter practice, or when are you going to ramp it up? It's because they're not used to it. This is all new to us, so uh, we don't know what's right and wrong, but it's different. And the other bit of that that we've mentioned a few times now is maybe Zach Taylor is just honest. We don't know that right. for sure yet. I mean, he could be coach speaking us to death, right? But so far, he's been pretty true to his word, and maybe that's just the case. Maybe we're past the days of partly cloudy and into we got a second opinion. They found some more stuff. He's going to be out seven weeks. Right. Yeah, because I don't think we would know. We would have found out he had surgery, but it wouldn't have been as transparent. And that's what made it kind of look up and down with A.J. Green. Like those that 48 hours where right. he was going to be good and then wasn't, then the world was crashing. It was only because I think we were getting the information as they were. It seemed pretty close to when they seemed to find out what was going on. And and there was different information as well coming from not Zach Taylor versus what came from Zach Taylor. I still don't know where the report of the low ankle sprain came from. I know Elise Jesse reported it. I don't know what her source was on that. It seems like everyone that has a medical degree that is speculating on his injury thinks it's a high ankle sprain. Hmm. Regardless, same time frame. We know what it is now. We're not going to get any updates on that for a while. Right. So that's that's it for that one and, and on injuries. Uh, other note that I saw while watching a video of Dan Horde and Dave Lapham on Bengals.com, I saw it on Twitter, though, was that Trey Hopkins did take some number one reps. There was at least one clip where he was between Cordy Glenn and Billy Price at the left guard spot. So that is, you know, they said at least that he would take part in those reps, but we were told Christian Westerman would get a chance to start at right guard last year, and he never got that chance. So another testament to the honest, honesty from Head coach Zach Taylor, he said Trey Hopkins would be involved, and he definitely was on today's practice. And and that could be that he was getting reps with the ones, or it could be he was the second guy up today for whatever reason. Maybe they wanted to keep Westerman with the twos today for cohesion's sake, and they let Hopkins come in. Maybe Jerry made a mistake the way they kind of pull guys out for a play, and they have been to try to keep them accountable. Because that is one other note from Zach Mm -hmm. Taylor's pre-practice press conference today. They've had a lot of issues with pre-snap penalties. That's something that stood out to me. And I hope that's something that they get fixed. It sounds like they're emphasizing it, but maybe it's just the players they have. I I don't know. I know that shuffling on the offensive line makes it hard, 
because if you're practicing with the second unit and you're used to Jeff Driscoll's cadence and then you come in and hear Dalton's and it's a half a beat different, then you can get a false start. But it's something that you want to see cleaned up, and that's another thing that we're going to have to keep our eye on. It was a major issue for them last year. And pre-snap stuff, too. Uh, you know, with a lot more motions, there, there's a lot more opportunity for mistakes. And especially, and Taylor talked about this two days ago, so now I'm kind of putting two two quotes together here. He said, we got to get players to recognize their landmarks and, um, you know, the points they're supposed to hit. So this this is it sounded like it was true for, like, quarterbacks, receivers, tight ends, and I, even offensive linemen. And what I mean is everyone's got on a play – uh, whether that you come in motion, you have to be eight yards away from the the, the tight end, right? And you're on, you line up seven. That's going to change your route. It's going to change the depth of the throw, right? It's going to change how defenses may react to you. Uh, it could be on a pulling play. An offensive lineman's got to get out and re- hit his hit his spot. Uh, and if he doesn't, then maybe he's not wide enough to hit his blocker, or maybe he's too tight and he's he's in the backs running up his back. So uh, a new offense brings new points where maybe that comeback route was run at sharply eight yards in the previous scheme, but now it's at nine. So just different things like that, and it sounds like they're still working through it, which mental errors leads to uh, just miscommunication in the offense being off. It sounded like the Bengals had 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 a down day on offense two days ago, but the offense was much better today. And let's break down a play that we have video on. The best video of this comes from grill at grillmeister on twitter there's another one that nick wheeler had out that's at nick r wheeler thanks for the videos guys i saw that you were at training camp today and you guys both captured a deep josh malone touchdown that comes on a play action post and there's players there's there's jet motion here with guys in the flat there's a curl underneath to suck up uh jesse bates a free safety on the play Joe, do you yep. want to take us through the rest of the breakdown? Yeah, it's a very recognizable play for me. As soon as I saw it, uh, it's one that I saw. It wasn't one. It wasn't the the primary um, scheme or concept that I broke down in my athletic piece in, in terms of a play action pass. But this was probably the next most common one for them, and it had elements of of what they do almost every play action pass. So uh, again, it looks like a stretch zone run. Uh, there's to start it off. They're in eleven personnel, three wide receivers, one tight end, one running back. And it's going to look like a stretch zone, in this case, to the right. Before that, they're going to have the, the the jet sweep motion. What I mean is the receiver on the far right is going to come behind the line of scrimmage and run all the way to the left, and, and you're going to snap the ball when he's in position to take the handoff if they were going to give it to him. Now, the, the Rams do this. They did it over 220 times last year, so it's a, it's a large chunk of their of their uh, offense. The Bengals are doing this with Cody Core. I suspect Core is running that for John Ross when Ross returns, be, just based on reports and some of the routes I remember from the Rams playbook. So Cody Core comes in motion from right to left. The Bengals snap the ball. They fake it to Andy Dalton, fakes it to Joe Mixon to his right. Okay, so that what you're doing there is now you've got two conflicts. You've got the the jet motion that's going to take a linebacker or an edge defender to the left. And you have the play action to the right with C.J. Zama as the, as the tight end on that side. He's going to stay in and block. Now you got motion to the right. So those are the two conflicts, two different types of handoffs. Now Dalton pulls it back. The route here really is a two-man route, the, the primary reads at least. On the right side there, Boyd was in the slot, and he's going to run a deep curl. This is about 12 to 15 yards typically on the right side. All the way on the left side is now where the really they're trying to hit this ball. And this is the first play of practice. So you can see this being one of the first plays you now if you want to take a shot and really open up the game. Josh Malone's lined up deep on the or far on the left side. He's going to run a deep post. Now the idea here is 
with Malone, or I'm sorry, with Core coming in jet motion, it brought down Sean Williams into that flat to cover Cody Core. The Bengals must have been in a, in a zone defense here. I would say it's probably a cover three based on the look. But uh, Boyd's deep curl on the right side pulled Jesse Bates down. Okay, because he's the one closest to his side. Bates sees it as, as probably the, the guy that's clearly in his view. Meanwhile, Malone's running the deep post behind Bates with William Jackson covering him. Jackson goes up for the ball as it's a deep throw, nice throw by Andy Dalton. He mistimes his jump, and Malone goes for a 51-yard touchdown. Really, it's a misdirection on the on the right side there. After the misdirections on the play action, it looks like they may hit this deep curl, but really the, all they're doing is moving the safety to get to that deep post. Now, one other final note. If they don't want to throw the deep ball, for, or if it's not there, if it's covered, the Rams, will, or the Rams and Bengals will have two guys in the flats. That's Cody Core coming off the jet motion. We'll be in the flat to the left if Andy Dalton needs to check it down. And after uh, Joe Mixon takes the fake handoff, he's going to go to the flat to the right and sit there. So those are the check down options for Andy Dalton. And the last note there is CJ Uzama stayed in to block on the play, so they're keeping in a tight end to block on this particular play design. The other interesting note to me was as soon as Dalton steps up and he's looking at that deep post, Sean Williams, who was responsible for the flat or the right third of the field, depending on what the coverage was, immediately bails deep. And he's like, okay, Dalton, the quarterback's stepping up. This throw's going deep. So if Dalton takes that one hitch up and he has time to dump it off to the flat because that deep post is covered, let's say, let's say that free safety stays deep. Then if, if that safety bails out short like it did in this particular clip, that flat has a lot of room to run, too, as a check down. So that's why I think those flats are built in, as you talked about. Yeah, and one other final note. I think Josh Malone will be replaced by A.J. Green on this play, typically, for, for the most part, based on what the Rams did. And uh, I think it would be Brandon Brandon Cooks, Cody Core, John Ross doing the jet sweep motion. So if you wanted to check it down to John Ross in space in the flats with a safety on him, oh, that sounds like fun. I fully agree. Sounds like the offense more or less won the day. Dave Lapham said after practice, the offense had a much better day today. I think you might have mentioned that a few minutes ago on the podcast. Also having a deep touchdown in the early part of practice, I think after Malone was Auden Tate. So it's nice to hear that name having a deep touchdown early in practice today. Didn't really hear anything about Damian Willis probably for the first time in three practices. But if other guys are stepping up, we'll take it. Good day for the offense. A nice little bounce back for them. Nice to hear about the offense coming together a little bit after we were a little yeah. bit skeptical. And anytime Josh Malone beats William Jackson, it gives you a little bit of hope, doesn't it? It does, because I think Jackson's good. I don't care what he does in camp. Um, he missed time to jump there. If Malone's making plays and getting deep and beating him, yeah, that's that's what he's there for. That's exactly what he did in college. It means he has a chance at the very least. We're going right. to take a quick break and get back here with your countdown to kickoff. We have some players to catch up on. We're well into the 30s, though, folks. Football is here. It is upon us, and the regular season is close. We'll be right back. And we're back again for segment three of the Locked on Bengals podcast. I promise we'll get back to countdown to kickoff, unless you guys just want us to talk training camp uh, forever, because I would do that too. But as we're recording... Paul Denner of The Athletic uh, posted his practice recap update. It's got a lot of great notes in there from Jermaine Pratt to uh, the other linebackers to an update on John Ross and a good quote from Ross, good quote on Billy Price, but also a really good look at the young pass rushers. And it's been Carl Lawson standing out in the past few days of practice. But uh, 
the Bengals appear to be running some three, four looks with some, I guess I'm doing this with air quotes here, five down defensive linemen. And that's really the part that stands out to me. I, I say go read this and read everything in here. There's a lot of good tidbits. But I think the one thing we're going to talk about, Jake, is that uh, defensive front. I think so, too. Seeing that they're going to a quote-unquote five-man front, and that features Glasgow, Atkins, and Billings. Billings and nose tackle, Atkins and Glasgow over the guards as five techniques with uh, Lawson and Hubbard out wide. I think that's a great way to get Dunlap rest, as we talked about. When we were talking about this before we started recording, I told Joe, I would like to see Dunlap in there instead of Glasgow maybe give him a chance to knock down a pass and if it was a third down I, I stand by that but they probably go out there with the different package that Paul Daner also mentions in that piece I, I think that's a, a good way to get rest for those guys and keep some solid defensive line talent on the field I am a little skeptical of if they're going to ask one of those two ends to drop into a coverage in a zone because they can't rush five every time they come out in that package they asked Hubbard to do it far too often last year, I felt, and I, I hated it while watching him. And I don't want them to ask Carl Lawson. I think Lawson's done it four or five. It's really in two years so far in his, you know, basically full season. He's only done it a handful of times, which that means I just I don't think he's going to do it often. So uh, they, they have to keep it unpredictable, though. They can't just send yeah. that package out there and rush five every time. Yeah, and that's kind of the idea of why um, – I would think it'd be a more hybrid, maybe three three five. You know, instead of having both Hubbard and Lawson doing it, I'd do it with Lawson or Hubbard and have Dunlap out there at some point. And I think they can mix that up. But also, the last uh, interesting thing on the defensive line, or another interesting thing, was that he we finally got some clarification on the nickel package and the pass rushing package. Uh, every time we've seen clips, and even when we asked John Sharon, he said it was kind of too early to tell, but. Uh, it appears the four pass rushers that we expect are three defensive ends, one D tackle. That being Geno Atkins inside, and then Carlos Dunlap, Sam Hubbard, and Carl Lawson. And he did mention that Carl Lawson and Hubbard have both taken reps on the inside as another defensive tackle. And they've both been really good. I always temper my expectations at this point uh, after last year when the defensive line was dominating at this point as well. This is a pretty good defensive line we think, and a a pretty bad offensive line, we think. Both of those things can be true. It's nice to hear that the defensive line is having success. You would hope that they would be, given the talent disparity there. Just something to to keep in the back of your head when you're hearing these reports. Right, because, yes, this is... I remember two years ago when Carl Lawson was a rookie. Remember he was beating up on Cedric Abuehi. This is a boy. He's was that his first year starting, or he was moving the left tackle at the time? And it was the first year playing left tackle. And Lawson was was killing him. And we're we're in camp and we're wondering, is Lawson really good? He was a fourth round pick, or is Cedric a boy he really bad because he is bad and we always thought he was bad. So it was kind of interesting to figure out which one was the truth when they're going against each other so often and one guy's beating the other guy so often. And then it turns out really quickly we figured out, yeah, Carl Lawson's the real deal. So I wonder if if that's just the case again. I think he's a really good pass rusher and it really doesn't matter. How good the offensive line is out there. I agree. I, I definitely am not trying to take away from Carl Lawson. But it's no, just but like, someone asked this today on Twitter of me. They said, yeah, but our line sucks. And I'm like, yeah, but so does half the league, to be honest with you. 
offensive line playing the league is not at a very high level. I did mention earlier that we didn't hear about Damian Willis today. Paul Daner also has notes on Damian Willis and Stanley Morgan and how they did when they filled in with the first team from time to time. Has more notes on Josh Malone as well, who sounds like he had a pretty up and down practice. So go over and check that out at The Athletic, where Paul Daner is doing great work on a daily basis with his training camp updates. What if they actually have something in Damian Willis? I mean, the one note here that he beats uh, uh, William Jackson on a crossing route over the, and Jesse Bates over the top for a 20 to 30 yard gain from a quarterback running with the ones. I mean, the production was there. The size is there. Sure, he doesn't have the athleticism, but that's how you find a Marcus Colston. That's how you find a TJ Hushmanzada. I'm I'm so excited to see this guy play because I've only I've I've gone back and watched clips and stuff. I might be preparing something to write for the Athletic just because he's very intriguing. I'll keep an eye on him when I'm at training camp next Thursday. Maybe I'll get to talk to him. That'd be fun. Let's get back to our countdown to kickoff, shall we? We should. So the three guys to cover today in the countdown to kickoff are all defensive backs. There is number 39, Tony Lippett, the new addition to the team. We talked a lot about him yesterday. We don't need to get into a lot more detail there, except that he was pretty good before he had the Achilles injury. And he was pretty bad after the Achilles injury where he missed 2017 entirely and played three games with New York in 2018. So as I mentioned, when we talked about the signing yesterday, I think that it's really a, uh, you know, you hope that he can rediscover some of his old form. He's there for depth. He's there for familiarity. He is not anything close to a sure thing to make the, the roster, but there's just a lot of injury at that position right now, especially in depth. But he's exactly the kind of guy I'd like to sign for camp. He had talent. He shows he showed some talent, and then he could play, and he could potentially start. And then he had an injury, and he had to deal with that. And every player does at some point. But uh, whether he bounces back or not, this is somebody you want to take a chance on. He he's six foot three, two hundred pounds. He's a corner, former receiver. He just turned twenty seven years old in July. So I mean, you're getting a guy that had he have not had this Achilles injury. Don't be surprised if you would have got a big contract and somewhere in an alternate universe, alternate timeline. I think Tony Lippett is starting somewhere with a decent contract. It's like a number two corner. A lot of ball skills there from that time as a wide receiver. He got his hands onto 14 passes in 2016. Four of those were interceptions. And I agree with you. This is the kind of player that is worth taking a chance on. He didn't cost him anything. Let's see what happens. You know what it reminds me of when they signed Benny Benwickery? And he had a decent camp in preseason with them. And they were able to flip him for a six-round pick with the Dallas Cowboys just because of that. Right. And they used that six-round pick to move around in this year's draft. The next player on the list, I have not heard his name once in camp. Number 38 is cornerback Anthony Chesley, a college free agent from Coastal Carolina. Coastal Carolina. So he's a Drum Simpson's alma mater, right? 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 All right. I'm trying to think of what I know. I thought he was a Florida guy. Ooh, Drum Simpson? Yeah. No, that was Caldwell's from Florida. Not not University of Florida, but one of the small schools in Florida. Uh, No, he was Coastal Carolina, for sure. And his quarterback was Tyler Thigpen. Well, then. Yep, here we go. We've got information here. I've got nothing on on Anthony Chesley. I know. This is terrible, right? We get to these guys that... I don't even know what position he he plays. I'm looking it up as we speak. Thank you very much. He's a corner. Yeah, so I haven't heard anything about him taking reps. But you know who does have some uh, clips on their Twitter timeline? Coach Minnick. 
on Twitter, M-I-N-I-C-H. I've been on his podcast before, but he he does uh, he writes for Cincy Jungle Bengals stuff. He looks at he looked at all the Bengals undrafted signees, and he's got some things here. So if you are interested in any clips of Anthony Chesley, Matt Minnick has them. He does the deep digs. I've got nothing on Anthony Chesley, so we'll move on to number thirty-seven, second-year player, another college free agent. I'm pretty sure Demetrius Cox from Michigan State. He plays as a safety for the Bengals. He's six foot, 200 pounds. So Cox signed with Cincinnati in 2017, didn't make the team, signed with Carolina, was waived by Carolina a year later. So he was on Carolina for a year, signed the Arizona practice squad a couple days later, was released from the Arizona, from the Arizona practice squad a week, a month after that, and has been on the Bengals practice squad since October of last year was signed to the active roster on the 31st. Yeah, I remember him as an undrafted free agent that year. They liked him as a, one of the captains back there for Michigan State Spartans, and he made a few plays for them. But ultimately, this the safety room, if you're only keeping four guys, it's hard for those guys to make the team. And I believe the Bengals liked him, but uh, for whatever reason, he ended up with the Panthers. Uh, and, you know, I, I do think he can play in this league. He played four regular season games for the Panthers before he went onto the injured reserve in 2017. And then in 2018, the Panthers waived him in final cuts. He was signed to a futures contract on December 31st. So he's got another chance to prove that he can make the team. I think this is another one of those special teamers with an uphill battle to prove that he belongs in the NFL. If nothing else, he's, you know, a good practice squad candidate. He does have at least some NFL active game experience to his credit. This is true. Uh, when you type his name in Twitter, you get a really awesome interception in the Big Ten Championship from 2015 where a ball bounces around uh, off of a defender's back, his own teammate's back, and he catches it in the end zone one-handed. It's pretty nice. Another fun fact about Demetrius Cox is he's from just outside of Pittsburgh. So if he is mm-hmm. active for the Bengals this year, he gets to play against his hometown team and hopefully have like 17 interceptions or something each game. Yeah, because that's definitely what uh, what he's gonna <laughs> what he's gonna do. But that'd be cool. I think that's pretty pretty reasonable expectations against the Pittsburgh Steelers, Joe. Yeah, I think so too. Actually, uh, in his scouting report coming out of college, it was that he played some corner also and has good ball skills. So maybe 17 picks, one game, gonna blow an NFL record out of the water. Get himself closer to Ken Riley. Yeah, that's got a long way to go. No one's catching Ken Riley. If he does no 17 a, a game for two games, that's halfway there. <laughs> I wonder if we'll ever get to the point where someone's catching Ken Riley to be a top five. Charles Woodson, who's being inducted in the Hall of Fame this weekend, uh, right? That's this weekend, is uh, is at 65 also. Gets harder and harder to catch interceptions. Now you can even challenge pass interference. I don't know. I don't know what's that's going right. on in the NFL anymore. Yeah, after we were done recording, Jake and I put the preseason game on to watch a little bit together. And uh, maybe that's what we should do, right, with Locked On uh, Bengals listeners. And maybe we can all get into, like, a, a stream together and watch one game and chat and talk. That'd be pretty cool. But uh, Jake and I are watching. Within a couple minutes, the first challenged pass interference call comes across the screen or is in the game. And uh, big waste of time. <laughs> I don't even know. Like, it's so subjective, isn't it? 
that yeah i mean we were both watching and we were sitting there looking at it like this is not a good pass interference call the defensive back i mean the the, and then you look at it from another angle it's like okay the defensive back maybe is in the way but he's looking for the ball he has a hand on the collar inside the collar i think that's why they call it but the receiver gives up on the route like he's tracking the ball and then he sees it's overthrown and he's not even watching the ball anymore by the time the flag comes out yeah and you got to think as a receiver, you want to, on a vertical route, you want to get onto the toes of the corner. You want to get around him and kind of sit on him. So, it mean, meaning you are further downfield, he's on your back, and you can kind of put your back into him, box him out, and let the ball come over your shoulder. This receiver never gets around the corner. So, we're, are we now throwing flags to, you know, bail a guy out for running a bad route or not being an athlete and then upholding that, even though it was challenged? That was a. Uh, a weird few minutes, and hopefully not a, a sign of what we're going to see this this season, but I, I'm afraid it is. The only reason I can see him really keeping that call the way it was is because the DB's hand was in, like, you could see him gripping the collar. And yeah, what did he that, say? Did he say it was confirmed, or did he just say rule on the field stands? Or he, he just said, said it stands. stands. But I don't yeah. know, like, are they going to confirm or not confirm penalties? That's weird. Well, how do they change it? I mean, that's what I you're doing, know. isn't it? Aren't you confirming them? Because you can't challenge a non-call. So you can only challenge yeah. a flag that's been thrown. So you're either confirming that it was a penalty or it wasn't. I don't know how they're... Uh, it'll be interesting to see what they change, if anything. Right. That is going to do it today on the Lockdown Bengals podcast. We'll be back tomorrow for a bonus episode. You get a couple bonus episodes this week because we are tracking the public training camp schedule with family day being tomorrow. Historically, the site of the orange-black scrimmage. We might get some good updates out of that training camp for you. Until then, Bengals fans, enjoy your weekend. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one.